Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode, we speak with Megan Jarko, Chair of USD's Sustainability Department, about climate change and the Australia brush fires. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, Megan, I know we've had you on before, but we wanted to bring you back and talk about a few um, issues related to sustainability and climate change that are occurring right now. Um, First, for our audience, though, I I guess, what is your role at USD and what do you do? So I am the chair of the Department of Sustainability and Environment here at USD. And that's it's relatively new. Um, You know, for our audience who might not know what the concept of sustainability means, how would you define it? So I define sustainability as asking the questions, what kind of world do we want and how can we affect change to create that world? But not the the kind of textbook definition is that it's working towards systems that are environmentally beneficial and socially just both now and into the future. You know, so how if I was a um, prospective undergraduate student, I was looking at a, a major that I wanted to pursue, um, you know, what would a sustainability major allow me to do? What would it prepare me to do? So there's a range of things that sustainability majors can do. A lot of them, there's a common theme of they want to, you know, save the world or do something good in the world. And so sustainability, there's definitely the environmental threat. So improving the environment, helping it persist over time, addressing challenges, understanding things like climate change. Um, And then there's also the increasing human well-being part. So things related to social justice or equity or working in nonprofits or public policy. And so there's a few different ways that people can go within the field of sustainability. What are maybe some like fun things that a sustainability major might get to do? Um, do they get to go out like in the field and, and research? Do they get to travel? What would be um, some aspects like that? So any of the conservation aspects, we have a lot of people who would right, do field work, be outside trying to you know conserve species, could do research on things. The policy things, of course, could also take you places. So some of our students were out in Sweden and got to meet Greta Thunberg, you know, who was there protesting when they were there on a class trip. Um, and so the different realms, I guess, whether you're you're liking to be outside with nature or you know dealing with people, I think there's different ways for students to engage. Or even we have an internship with city of Vermilion. And so it means some of our students, you know, are presenting to city council on different policy recommendations that they have. You know, one thing that we wanted to talk about a little bit today was climate change. And I think that one thing that's been so in the news, um, you know, is this Australia brush fire. Do you know much about that, that situation? And how does it, I guess, interplay with climate change? So I should note, I'm not an expert, you know, on the Australian um, fires, but it is that I know enough and enough about climate change and I've been following it uh, at least a bit. But so Australia, you know, as a continent is one that's used to having fires. It's used to having a wildfire season. Uh, With climate change, though, we're having, they're having a longer fire season. And so, you know, I think they're less than a month into what would normally be the, you know, peak of the fire season and they've had, you know, one of the biggest fire seasons yet, and they still have many months to go before the fire season is done. And so with climate change, you can't pinpoint particular events as being caused by climate change, but it's this um, more frequent occurrence of these extreme events. And so, you know, for in Australia, it's going to be more likely that they will have more intense fires more often in the future as climate change, you know, continues. Well, and I think part of the reason, at least for me, why it's you know captured my attention is I grew up watching Animal Planet, the crocodile hunter, koala bears, right? I mean, so Australia kind of has... 
I don't know, the, this appeal to me, you know, and especially the wildlife there. I mean, that's kind of what I identify Australia with, um, just, you know, for lack of better context, I haven't met many Australians. Um, and so I, I think it's resonated in a way in the United States. And I see that amongst like peer groups and stuff. When you see these like pictures of bikers, you know, literally giving water to like koala bears. I mean, what are the the impacts that an event ha- that an event like this will have on wildlife, on the economy, on you know the entire continent of Australia? So that is a good point. So with Australia being you know its own continent, what you get is a lot of endemic species. So species that are only found in Australia, and so marsupials would be the big ones that come to people's mind. You know the the animals with pouches like the kangaroos, and so they you know, we're in Australia and have evolved in Australia for, you know, millions of years separate from, you know, having contact with other continents. And so they have a ton of those unique species. And so when you have a whole continent that's on fire, you know, or much of the whole continent that's on fire, and a lot of those species are endemic or unique to that area, um, ecologically, that has a really big impact because, you know, unlike having a fire in California, where there's other ecosystems across the world that are similar, when the whole continent has more of these unique species, you can lose, you know, entire species or it can really damage them beyond where they can recover. What is the impact of like biodiversity loss? Why is that important? So, you know, there could be a range of ways you could look at it. You could look at it from what would be beneficial to humans. And so, you know, pharmaceuticals would come from biodiversity things. We get a lot of recreation enjoyment from biodiversity. Um, If you have more biodiversity, um, species can recover from, let's say, different viruses or illnesses. Um, we use them for our crops. So we get a lot of value from biodiversity. But then there's, of course, the intrinsic value of nature, some sense of, you know, there is this vast diversity that exists and just value in and of itself of having the diversity around. You know, one thing that you mentioned was the frequency of natural disasters and, and, you know, issues like fires. I think of California, for instance, um, these vivid videos that people would have on social media of, you know, just like everywhere around them, just ablaze. Um, you know, of course, South Dakota is not um, immune to this as well. You know, just a couple of years ago, we had the Legion Lake fire in Custer State Park, which burned, you know, thousands of acres of forest and really, you know, changed kind of a, a seminal, um, you know, part of the Black Hills. Are these incidents becoming more frequent? I mean, it's it's hard to judge it from a historical context when you, know, you just have your own experience. I mean, they, they feel like maybe they're happening more and more, but is that attributable to climate change? And what do you make of it? So there, there is really good data now that they can attribute it to climate change. So, for example, in Australia, 2019 had some of, it was their hottest year on record, I think, and it had some of, I think it broke records for the hottest days they've ever had. You know, so when you look at, let's say, Australia over the past, I think it was like 60-ish years, all of the hottest ones have been in the past few decades. You know, so it is that we can demonstrate now that over time temperatures are increasing. Um, and these extreme events, then they're just more likely to occur. And part of it is that it is so complex. So the the Australian wildfires, part of what is driving it is there's a uh, an ocean current um, 
process that I'm not I'm not knowledgeable about that's happening, but it's changed where part of the um, Indian Ocean, I think, was warmer. It's cooler by Australia, so they're getting less rain. It was hotter, so then that fueled the fires. But so there's these really complex interactions between, you know, temperature, ocean currents, precipitation, and then, you know, when you were adding, like, biodiversity effects and what would happen, like, in us, um, sorry, the Black Hills, when you were talking about it, they also have the issue of the pine beetle, pine mountain beetle, that now can move farther north, I think, because the winters don't kill it as often because we don't get as, you know, it doesn't get as cold as often in the winter. So you have more dead trees, which can fuel fire. But so there's a lot of these complex factors that with climate change and with biodiversity change, with invasive species introductions, all stack, you know, upon one another. And so understanding those gets to be more complex and they're often interrelated. You know, before we actually started recording, um, we were just kind of casually talking about some of your research. And you had mentioned that you have done a little bit of research like on the Corn Belt. And that has, you know, shifted over time as a result of climate change. Can you explain to the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, so I mean, I think that even so, we're not in South Dakota likely, or on this in this part of South Dakota likely to have uh, huge forest fires, you know. But we have impacts of climate change too, and so the Corn Belt over the past few decades, uh, especially over the past 15 years, has been moving west, and that hasn't been a climate change issue as much as a policy issue. So when we started to have, it was the Energy Independence and Securities Act that made more of a demand for ethanol. It encouraged farmers to plant more corn. And so they took what had been in grassland and put it in corn. And so for kind of social policy issues, the Corn Belt is moving west. Um, but then United, the United States has a pretty sharp line, one of a few in the world where it goes from, you know, the more humid east to the more arid west. And we've got that. They sometimes talk about it being the 100th meridian. Um, but that has been shifting and moving farther east. And so here in the eastern South Dakota, we're now at this zone where we, in the past, are, it was more conducive to growing row crops. We would more often have enough precipitation to be able to grow them. And now it's shifting to where we might not be as suitable for that. And so it's these interesting interplays between policy, you know, what crops we want to grow for different profitability reasons, and then what climate change is doing um, and likely to continue to do over the future. And when you talk about extreme events, you know, so, uh, you know, this past year, South Dakota led the United States in the number of acres of um, unplanted cropland, you know, because we had that unprecedented precedented uh, flooding. And so it's one where, you know, if you're relying on row crops that really need precise management, and then you have more extreme weather events, you just can't manage those systems in the same way. And so it becomes really challenging. Yeah, I think the million dollar question then is, what do we do? I mean, if, you know, climate change is real enough where we're seeing sometimes catastrophic impacts when you think about um, some of these forest fires or some of these uh, floods that have occurred where, you know, millions of dollars of property have been lost, but also sometimes life. Um, we, we've talked about the wildlife in, in, in Australia. I mean, this is going to be something that sticks with us now for a while. How do we kind of manage this crisis? And is there a way to roll it back? So I think there's a range of ways to approach answering, approach answering that question. I mean, one would be, let's say for this area, I think we should give farmers um, more ability to use their creativity and problem-solving skills that they have. You know, so the land that was 
um, in grassland that recently was you know, being converted to corn, there was a reason that the farmers hadn't previously put it in corn production. They knew that it's on land that's pretty marginal for corn and soybean production. And so to not have policies that encourage our farmers and landowners to do things that they know, you know aren't in the best you know, interest of the land or likely to be successful over time. So empowering the people who are managing our landscapes to use the knowledge that they have. Um, but then also, there's a lot of knowledge that science can contribute. And so, for example, there's the Land Institute in Kansas is working on developing perennial grain crops. And so rather than having a grain crop that you have to, that's an annual where you have to get into the fields in the spring, get a perennial crop so that the timing isn't as, you know, isn't as in, um, isn't as prescriptive. And so if there's spring flooding and the plant's already growing, it can just come up and then you can still get a crop and you don't end up with the losses like we had this year. So I think science and technology play a role, but then also empowering people who have a lot of knowledge to be able to use that. You know, it's funny when you were you know kind of talking about some of that, it, it made me think of Spirit Mound. Um, and I this summer, I was recently kind of went on on some hike with a, I can't remember if it was National Park Service that had led it or, or who it exactly was, um, but they talked about how you know like not all that long ago that was like a pig farm or a cattle farm or you know what I mean and now it's like this kind of gem on the north side of Vermilion that you can go in a pleasant you know hour hike um, and it's you know related to Lewis and Clark um, Trail so there's some historical value of it but it is this like beautiful wildflower you know, just pasture and you can kind of walk with your dog and, um, you know, you go there at any time of the summer and there's different flowers. It's really cool. And the, the person we were with kind of talked about the, you know, amount of time it takes to, I, I don't know what the right word is, but kind of redevelop that land in a more natural way. And, you know, it goes through cycles where you get, you know, certain invasive species, which you have to kill off to try to let the, the new species or the, you know, organic species, um, uh, you know, take root. I mean, other than, you know, kind of, I guess, like the aesthetic value of a, of a place like that, what type of value does that provide, um, I guess, like to the environment? I mean, do these little pockets of biodiversity, I mean, is that going to sustain species? Is that going to be enough, I guess, in the future when we think about development and, you know, the, the need for land development? Oh, right. So I think Spirit Mound is a, a great example. So it's tall grass prairie. Almost all the tall grass prairie is gone. And so it's one of the only places where we would have a patch of tall grass prairie. And of course, in this region, we don't even have a lot of grassland. And so there have been kind of uh, highly publicized reports of coming out, let's say, for example, with birds, that half of the you know birds have died since um, pre-industrial times. And Spirit Mound, Dr. Dave Swanson in biology um, often does research there. Uh, and it just gets a tremendous number of birds that use it as they're migrating. Um, there's also a bunch of birds that use it as their habitat, breeding habitat throughout the year. So would it be better if we had bigger expanses of prairie? Absolutely. But do these patches of prairie, you know, have value? They certainly do. You know, the animals um, find them. And even in terms of the plants, you know, if it wasn't at Spirit Mound, there's not a lot of other spaces for those plants to exist. And so, yes, I'd be a proponent of having even larger expanses of tallgrass prairie back on the landscape. But what we have, you know, and things like Spirit Mound really are disproportionately um, impactful. 
You know, I guess to kind of round out our conversation, we had kind of talked about some of the things that maybe we're going to have to do to kind of manage this this situation. Um, are there things that, you know, an individual can do in their own kind of personal life to be a little bit more sustainable? I mean, what I guess can you do on a personal level to make an impact? So there, of course, are behavioral changes that we all can make, um, you know, so the using less energy, driving less, eating less meat, buying less new clothing. Um, so all of those that kind of are framed, I suppose, in terms of recognizing that we consume more than we necessarily need to consume. There's also... Um, probably a, a bigger impact or a very big impact would be that we have to start organizing and talking. So some amount of, you know, we're going to need policy changes to say that, you know, we're taking commitment towards reducing climate change. And those are things that, you know, individually we're unlikely to do. So we need to do the individual things, but we also need to kind of start talking about the fact of one, that of course climate change is happening and that as a society, there's a lot of actions we can take and that we're in support of, you know, um, politicians and we're in support of programs that would help us take action to, you know, reducing impacts. Megan, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about your program and some of the recent events related to climate change. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grades. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 